This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're listening to Raise Your Game here on BFM 89.9 and I'm Lily Chai. Marketing is now an art that many businesses are trying to master for their brand. But one of the elements is actually brand positioning. What is it really and how can you up your marketing game when you master brand positioning? So Uli Applebaum is the founder of his boutique brand strategy shop, first the trousers, then the shoes incorporated in Minneapolis. And he released a book called The Brand Positioning Workbook, a simple how-to guide to more compelling brand positionings faster. Uli is here today to share the power having the right brand positioning can have on your marketing strategies to better your business identity. Welcome to the show, Uli. Thank you for having me. Uh, as a practice, Selamat pagi. Uh, <laughs> pleasure you. to be on your call, on your on your show. Right. Tell us briefly, you know, about yourself and what you do. Absolutely. So um, I am a brand strategist by trade. Um, I'm German, as it's probably easy to hear at my accent, but I spent uh, most of my life living abroad. I spent the first 10 years in Africa, the next 10 years in Belgium, uh, worked in Hungary, lived in France, lived in the UK, and then 20 years ago mo- uh, moved to the United States. And my background is really account planning and brand strategy at some of the top um, advertising agencies in the world. Mm -hmm. And then um, seven, eight years ago, I started to start my own uh, brand consulting firm uh, for two reasons. One is there was a lifestyle choice. Uh, We moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is in the middle of the United States. So it's not one of the big advertising markets like the West Coast or the East Coast. And the second is really because I saw there is a gap in in sort of like marketing knowledge for a lot of companies. So that's basically what I do is I help them with brand strategy and marketing strategies by by basically taking a lot of the things I've learned in my 20 years working with some of the top companies in the, around the world um, and apply that to any kind of businesses out there. And uh, um, at the core, what's really been driving me is people, you know, understanding people, what, what makes them tick, what, um, you know, what makes them make decisions doesn't have to be in the marketing world only why do they choose a political party why do Mm. they decide you know to travel around the world and uh, all these kind of things so uh, the best thing i can do is sit down in a coffee shop and talk to someone um, for two hours and just listen to what they have to say so (laughs) way longer answer than you wanted but that's here you have it (laughs) right so i i do want to talk about your book right as a brand Mm -hmm. strategist There are so many books out there about brand positioning and about marketing, essentially. Um, What inspired you to write this book in particular? And why is it called a workbook? To, to I think when I wrote the book, I think the number of marketing books on Amazon was like 267. So when you write a book and you think, okay, 267 other books out there, do I really need to write another book? Yeah. But the truth is, Lily, I noticed that a lot of the books rehash either the same thing. Um, so like theories about um, positioning, but applied to, you know, the individual, applied to the pharma industry, applied to small businesses. But it's basically all the same. But what was really missing for me is a simple guide. It's like a step-by-step guide that shows someone with common sense how do you get to a strong positioning platform? How can I inspire you to think about the various elements of your mm 
positioning platform um, and really um, uh, walk you through it uh, through through it by step by step. So the biggest benefit I get for for, for the big, biggest compliment I receive from the book is really there is no uh, blah blah or marketing BS. It's very pragmatic. It's down to earth and hopefully full of them. That's why I call it a work, workbook. It's really not my philosophy on brand strategy um, like there are many out there. It's really the collective knowledge that I've accumulated over 20 years developing brand positioning platforms around the world with a lot of tips and tricks that I learned as I was um, helping all these clients around the world and includes all the mistakes I made and uh, all these kind of things. So it's really a manual a workbook on, mm-hmm. on, on how to do this. Mm-hmm. So, um, Right. So I guess um, no matter it's if it's a business or a person, right? Brand positioning, mm-hmm. it is important, but... What is it about, really, and how is it different from branding? So um, we like to throw terms around there, right? So brand positioning, it's, and I like to, you know, as, as you grow older, you sort of like focus on the essentials and the basics. And um, let's maybe start, if you don't mind, by defining what a brand positioning is or what a brand is. A brand, brand is really the sum of the associations that you have with a product, that you have with an organization, that you have with a person, you know, um, and uh, a brand positioning is really capturing the two or three or four brand associations that you want your consumers in the world of marketing to associate with your brand. So, you know, is your product natural? Is your product trendy, fashionable, and culturally relevant? Um, those are all core associations that you define mm-hmm. and that you um, um, capture and that you then use to guide all your marketing, communication, product, and sales activities. Um, so they help you to determine, is what I'm doing from a marketing perspective, is that helping me build these brand associations? And, and branding is more sort of like the quote in my in my book, sort of like the, you know, the, the physical appearance of a brand, you know, the logo, the design elements, the corporate identity, and all these kind of things. So it's really how you come across so positioning you can define it as what is it you want to stand for Mm. and the branding is you know how do you look how do you come across how is your aesthetic um, to deliver that and Mm. and often um, when you go through a positioning exercise or repositioning exercise this often leads to a rebranding exercise you know because you try to reposition yourself against a younger audience. So maybe your visual identity needs to be, you know, more modern, simpler, fresher, et cetera, et cetera. So one is sort of like the code of the person that you want to be, basically. Mm-hmm. I guess it's um they they are not mutually exclusive from one another. No. So it yeah, it it, it really correlates uh, and connects with each other, right? Brand and yeah. brand positioning. So one interesting thing when I opened your book, the first thing that I saw is actually a cartoon of, mm-hmm. you know, two boys selling lemonades. <laughs> so on the the boy on the left, right, he was selling <coughs> lemonade and he put up the sign saying lemonade, uh, 20 cents per glass. And then the mm-hmm. boy on the right, his sign was lemonade cleanse. It was $20 per glass. And surprisingly, mm-hmm. there was such a long queue for the lemonade cleanse. While, you mm-hmm. know, no one was queuing for the lemonade lemonade even though it was like a hundred times cheaper Mm -hmm. 
tell me how this relates, you know, to the real life problems uh, from your experience that your clients face. Like, what kind of mistakes do they make when they're uh, coming up with your brand and their brand positioning? I'm really glad you bring that up, Lily, because I use this cartoon a lot. Um, and and the interesting thing is. Um, what's on the, the the one boy who sells uh, lemonade for like twenty cents a glass? It's in the I don't know if, if you do if you if children do that in Malaysia. It's something very popular here in the US, mm-hmm. and everyone knows. You know, when you walk around your neighborhood in the summer, you always see kids trying to sell to sell that. Um, but it's generic. It's you know, it's water category. It's butter category. It's, uh, you know, uh, meat category. It's the generic category offering, so to say. Mm. And what I love about the kid on the right is that indeed he, and the way I speak about it in the book, is he really created two additional brand associations. One, he doesn't call it lemonade. He calls it a cleanse. So all of a sudden, because he creates the cleanse association, there is a whole a halo of health associated with that. Um, and the second uh, brand association he created is, the to your point, increasing the price to $20. And here you can argue, you know, is the price act, does the price act as a signal? Oh, it's so expensive, so it must be good. Or does the price act as a justification? Oh, it's a cleanse, it's a health benefit, so it must be more expensive. But the brilliant, so the way I talk to my clients about this, and at first they look at me weird, right? Because I I put these bubbles of associations on a piece of paper and show them who they are today. And then I show them um, who they want to be by creating a new association or reinforcing an association that uh, they can build through their marketing initiatives. And as simple as this visual um, um, is, as powerful it communicates um, because people understand you cannot have 26 associations. Um, If you say, you know, my food product tastes good or my car is fast or my car doesn't consume um, a lot of gas, you know, you have 26 competitors that say exactly the same thing. Um, so what is it you would say about your brand that differs from everyone else? So that's how I use it. As I said, first clients look at me a bit like, okay, are you kidding me? Um, you're showing me a cartoon. But then when you get into the conversation, they really understand why that is and um, um, how much sense it makes, basically. Mm-hmm. All right. I do want to talk about, you know, uh, brand positioning, that mm-hmm. uh, how, how different COVID has change the whole landscape right uh, but we do need to head to some messages uh, I'm here with Uli Alpabam who is the founder of First the Trousers Then the Shoes he's also the author of the Brand Positioning Workbook a simple how-to guide to more compelling brand positionings faster keep it here BFM 89.9 Friendly Marketeers, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Racer Game. I'm Lily Chai. I'm here in the studio with Uli Alpabam, who is the founder of First the Trousers, then the Strews, incorporated in Minneapolis. And he's also the author of the Brand Positioning Workbook, a simple how-to guide to more compelling brand positionings faster. So before the break, we were talking about, you know, um, the common mistakes. And then what is brand positioning, essentially? Uh, and I want to explore on, you know, what has changed 
brand positioning because of COVID, right? Besides, you know, the digital side of things, everyone has transitioned to, you know, digital adoption. Besides that, right? How has brand positioning changed because of COVID? Well, I think it becomes, it has become more and more important. And on the one hand, there is COVID, obviously, but then there is, uh, for a lot of European countries and the global economy, there is the war or in Ukraine, which has an impact on the supply chain. You have generally supply chain issues. You have increasing inflation. Um, you know, you have um, uh, the looming recessions, at least in, in, in some parts of the world. Um, and, and positioning becomes increasingly important because it gives you the clarity of who you are and what you need to do, um, number one. And number two is, um, especially in light of inflation, one, one of the big benefits of strong brands um, is really that they support a price premium, right? Because you know it's different because the Apple iPhone, you know, it's very unique in the iPhone market and you pay a 50, 100% price premium for that product. It's probably from a technology point of view, you know, as good or as bad as everything as the Samsung, um, but you're willing to pay this price premium. So having a strong positioning that results into a strong brand allows you to support this price premium better than um, coming back to the lemonade stand, you know, uh, the kid with the 20 cents glass of orange juice or lemonade, you know, is probably going to fall down because um, no one would want to buy that. The kid on the right may have to lower his prices maybe to $18 the glass and not $20, but people will continue to line up because it provides a clear benefit, a clear association. So that is sort of like a big benefits of brand. And there is more and more research in the last few years that came up that, uh, you know, that the big question really is always during a recession, during these times, what, um, you know, do I need to continue to invest in marketing or do I cut my marketing budget? And there's more and more evidence that shows that you need to continue to invest in marketing, maybe at a lower level to continue because then you'll come out of the recession a much, much stronger brand. Mm. Um, and the requirement for consumers is um, consumer moods and values evolve and change, right? Um, um, that's what we see around the world. Um, uh, people sort of like tend to, to fold more onto their family, onto what matters, onto important things as opposed to frivolous things. Mm. Um, so what brands need to do is to understand, okay, how do I translate my brand positioning into a messaging strategy that really you know, taps into uh, the sentiment or the values consumer have coming out of this or coming coming out of COVID and heading into a recession. So, having clarity on what you stand for gives you the clarity to understand how do I translate that for people who who seek, um, you know, more conservative values or who you know for whose safety is important and all these kind of things so it just gives you the clarity to guide your to know where you're going and to guide your initiatives yeah. uh, while trying to stay strong in this uh, weird world we're moving into right so let's move on to talk about, you know, how to do it, right? Your book mentioned mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. developing a brand positioning is actually a creative problem-solving process and exercise. So what are some of the mm -hmm. tools and steps for doing so? 
Well, um, just like any problem uh, solving exercise, you need one to um, understand what real problem you're trying to solve, right? Understand a consumer buying me, a consumer buying me less. Why would I want consumers to buy me? What what is it really we're trying to address? And then every creative problem solving um, process, Lily, and I'm sure you're aware, has a divergent and a convergent phase. And the divergent phase, it's all about looking for as many possible solutions that are new, that are fresh, that gets consumer to think, oh, I haven't thought about this brand in such a way. Um, and then there's a conversion phase where then the rational brain kicks in where like, okay, can we produce this? Uh, does it fit in our budget? You know, can we implement this solution, etc. So that's the rational side. And my experience is that most positioning development projects fall short in the di- divergent phase. Rationalizing, overanalyzing, those things, we are all good at that. You know, that's very easy when you can test, you know, ideas to death. Coming up with this very broad spectrum of ideas, that is really the difficult part. And for that, you need, you know, the right tools, you need the right people in the room. Uh, you know, if you have like three German engineers trying to come up with solutions, they're going to be very similar mm-hmm. um, and very narrow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, if you have a, a mix of people with different backgrounds, different experiences, different skill sets, you're going to broaden up your spectrum of potential ideas. Mm-hmm. And what is unique about this methodology I'm using, and that's very well described in the book, I hope, is that when you go through the divergent phase, like exploring potential ideas, um, I offer 26 sources of brand associations that are all rooted in the analysis of 1,200 case studies. So I basically just looked at as many case studies as I could and said, okay, what did these brands use to position themselves? And I identified these 26 territories. So and, and now the reader or the person using this methodology can look at each of these territories and think, how would that apply to my brand mm. and give you ideas in that specific field? So um, my experience is if you develop a positioning platform, you can come up with, um, you know, I don't know, 10, 12, 13 potential territories. Mm. With this methodology, you can easily get to 40, 60 uh, potential ideas. Now, 90% of them, you'll uh, you'll have to... to uh, to ignore them, mm. but the ten percent that you come up with will be significantly more fresh and novel and innovative than if you don't use the methodology. That's why it's a creative assignment, so to say. Right. And I guess this uh, overcomes the hurdle of, you know, creative burnout, always needing to churn out new ideas, new creative ideas, Mm -hmm. right? And I think one of the most interesting things that you touched on is that having, you know, what's stopping us essentially from being creative is actually our biases, right? As you mentioned, putting three people from three different backgrounds means that three different dynamics and aspects of biases. So what what does it mean when you say that biases are, uh, is the thing that is stopping us from being creative and how can marketeers and people like us, you know, overcome these kind of hurdles? Great question. So biases often in culture is, is biases is seen as something negative, right? But mm. biases help us live life in a more comfortable way, so to say, you know, I'm attracted by things that are sustainable. Right? I want to go for that, mm. you know, or, um, 
uh, you know, so, so they really help us. But the first thing to understand, I think, is really our brain is, so the, the, we celebrate creativity, right? They sort of like, we put this on a big pedestal of like, oh, yes, everyone wants to be creative. Creativity is cool. You know, look at all these creative people out there. But the reality is our brain doesn't want to be creative. Our brain wants to sit on the couch, do things that are familiar, that are automatic, doesn't want to be challenged, doesn't want to think about, you know, uh, things that challenge the way your your patterns are and your mental patterns are. Mm -hmm. um, so the first step is really to understand your brain doesn't want to be creative. <laughs> So that's sort of like the first step. And then it's understanding the type of biases. And you alluded to that already. You know, first biases are personal biases that are based on my value. And I see that a lot with a lot of young people. You know, a lot of young people are very purpose driven. Mm -hmm. They want to play a meaningful role in life. Um, and, you know, apply that to their job. You know, I grew up, I'm an older generation. I, I, I also wanted to improve the world, but I didn't look at my job as a way to do so. I look at my spare time to do so. So if I'm thinking about, you know, making the world a better place and apply that to everything I do in my job, I'm biased. <laughs> um, because I, I filter all the ideas that have, that are not about making the world a better place out. And that is, probably 80% of the potential solutions to any given problem. Then there are sort of like the corporate biases, right? And those are like, oh, we've always done it like this. This is how our company has been successful. Or this is the conventions of the category. Uh, if you sell fat, fast food, you need to show a burger. Uh, you know, these are the conventions of uh, that have made the category successful or the brand successful, but that also limit the way you think about the category. Um, those are other biases. So here's like two type of biases that literally, I would say, kill 70% of potential ideas mm -hmm. that you can come up with. Um, now, the beauty thing, the beautiful thing is um, the, the way I describe the brain, uh, Lily, it's like a puppy. Um, and, you know, when you have a puppy, um, uh, you know, you get a new puppy, it's so cute. You're like, oh, my God, it's, it's so adorable and stuff like that. And then he starts to shoe your shoes. <laughs> you know, you have this beautiful $100 high heel shoes. And one day you come home and your puppy has completely destroyed them. Um, the best way to deal with that is not to say bad puppy, bad puppy, you know, you're going to be punished for that. So that is the wrong strategy. The best strategy is to give him other chew toys, um, you know, uh, to distract him basically from your shoes and give him something that is more exciting than your shoes. And that's how the brain works. It's very easy to distract the brain to get the brain to think into specific lanes. And that's, again, where this methodology comes in. So I can talk to you about, you know, let's think about the purpose of your brand. Um, that's one way to look at it. Um, I can then ask you the question of what are the things we need to do if we want consumers not to buy our brand or to hate our brand? All of a sudden, I changed your brain and your way of thinking in a completely different direction. And then the beauty is that's the benefit of that too, is like negative brainstorm. We like to destroy things, right? Children don't like to build things. Children like to build and then destroy whatever they're building. That's just the nature of, of the way we think. So if, if the second question I ask you is, okay, what are the reasons we can come up with for people not to buy our brand? 
And then once you have created the list, <clears throat> you turn that into the opposite to try to see how we can position the brand based on the reverse negative, so to say. I gave you two ways to think about it. Yeah. And then I'd ask you a third question, which may be, uh, okay, let's think about the sensory properties of the brand. You know, how does it smell? How does it feel? Um, you know, how does it look? And all of a sudden, I sh shifted your brain again into a third way to look at your brand uh, for a potential solution. So in a minute, I literally guided your brain into three different directions, which is very easy to do because the brain just, you know, as a puppy hops along, ooh, a bone, yep, ooh, a treat, <laughs> yep, I want to go there. Uh, but that is something you cannot do on your own. You, mm. you cannot train your brand to your brain to think, okay, I'm going to think very different from the way I always think. Good luck with that. It just doesn't work like that. So think about puppy and puppy destruction strategy. Hmm. So do you have any final thoughts you want to leave marketers with when it comes to brand positioning? You know, the interesting thing is, I don't know how it's in Malaysia, uh, but in, in Western Europe and in the US, we always run after the new shiny object. Um, and uh, uh, I believe that just like anything in, in life, it's about the basic fundamental principles. Um, so as a marketer, you know, for me, the first question is always, and it's a, such a dumb and simple question, but such a difficult question to answer. It's really, what does your brand stand for today? What are the core associations um, consumers have with your brand? Mm -hmm. And I'm not asking you for a list of, of like 200 items that you wish consumers would have with your brand. I'm literally asking you for the two or three that um, consumers really have. And then the second question is simply, what are the one or two associations you want to build for your brand in the next three to five years? Mm. It's as simple as that, Lily. I mean, there is a lot of work behind it and a lot of analysis and, and thinking and all that stuff. But at the core, that's really what it's about. Mm. So when you think about your marketing initiatives, your pricing, your advertising campaigns, your pro promotion, always ask yourself, does it help build the association I want to create? Does it work against the association I want to create or does it just you know disappear in the air because it has nothing to do with what I'm trying to do. It's basic, it's simple, but that is so difficult to 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 get someone to think like that. That's really my departing uh, thought, so to say. Hmm. All right. Uh, I have been with Uli Alpobaum, who is the founder of first the trousers, then the shoes incorporated in Minneapolis. It is a brand strategy shop. He is also the author of the brand positioning workbook, a simple how-to guide to more compelling brand positionings faster. Thank you so much for spending time with me. Uh, if you miss any part of this show, you can of course go to our website at bfm.my or the BFM app that is available on the Apple App Store and Google Play to download the full conversation. This has been Race Your Game. I'm Lily Chai, BFM 89.9. been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app. 